Well, good morning. How about that Dave Powers guy? Any fun? I just love worshiping with Dave. I've known Dave for a long time. How many of you guys have been able to worship with Dave in the past? Okay, yeah, we like to keep him coming to Tulsa, but thank you, Dave, for serving us. Today, we're going to continue along the series we've been talking about, How Do I Know It's True? We actually just have two installments left of this. And if you're new to believers, uh, the reason we've been going after this, this topic of how do I know what's true is that truth can be hard to find. There's just all kinds of crazy in our world. It, it, it's just the way things are. Uh, one of the things I, I read in a BBC News article, one of the ways that Russia has been attacking the Ukraine is through Instagram posts. What they do is they've been uh, recording pictures of an explosion in another city, but sending it to this city and saying, it's, this is happening in your city right now. But it's not actually happening. <laughs> um, there, there, there are things that are just confusing in the world, and there is an adversary in the world that, that doesn't want us to know what is true. And, but it's so important that we know it's true because truth determines how we live. What we believe is true is how we make the most practical decisions day in and day out. And so we've been talking about the fact that we believe Jesus is the truth, that the truth isn't just an idea, that it's a person. And so, so the question becomes, how do I know this person, Jesus? So we've been talking, I know for if you're new to this, is like, whoa, this is fast. But we've been taking weeks to go through this, so you can just look back in the series if you find this to be intriguing. Um, how do I know Jesus? Or, oh, and the reason we need to know Jesus is because we're going to be crazy if we don't. <laughs> we, we, the, the, the way I've thought of it in the past is this. Is why are we even on planet Earth as Jesus followers when he's going to come and renew the earth? Why is he leaving us in this messy place? And it's because he said that the way you guys, my people who've trusted me, engage with one another in the life that you start to live out will be the witness to the world of what I'm like. So what's at stake for us to know what is true is very, very serious. It's, it's the witness of Jesus to the world. And so we've got to apply ourselves to this. And so, so we've got four ways, at least, we can know Jesus. And, and it's just kind of bound up in the, how do you know a person? And these are four different ways you can know a person. We know there's a lot more ways than just, just this. But we see these in Scripture pretty clearly. First John 1, verses 1 through 3. Also, God and John Wesley in the 1700s uh, noticed these things. And so it creates this wonderful acronym, REST. How do we know Jesus? How do we know Jesus? Right, reason, experience, scripture, and tradition. We've talked about scripture being the most important one of those. Tradition, which is what? Yeah, it's other people. So scripture's us knowing Jesus through his words. Tradition's other people knowing Jesus. And we've got to know Jesus clearly through others as well. We're not meant to do this alone. Experience. We just experience Jesus. 
And just this moment, we're saying words about him, we're singing songs, and all of a sudden something happens. There's more happening in the room. There's more going on. Jesus said that if any two or, two or more of you would gather together, I will actually be in your midst. And he is present in our midst by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is with us right now. And we've noticed him. And then through reason, God gave us brains because he likes us to think. He likes us to know him through reasoning. We talked about this last week. What we're going to do today is, is, is do kind of a little subtopic, a, 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 a camping under reason, and specifically address faith and science. Faith and science. And, and the, there's, there's a reason for this. Um, popular culture seems to believe faith and science are in conflict. Does anybody resonate with that? You don't know? Maybe? So how about like this? Whenever you've seen that faith or in science or conflict, does it seem like our culture would say, I go with science rather than faith? Okay, so the question is, is that actually true? And we want to actually take that and not just in a thoughtful way. We'll re-engage it in a way, I don't know, hopefully that'll be uh, credible. I'll say this, this has really surprised me. Over the last couple of days, I have experienced more spiritual warfare than usual leading up to today. It's the weirdest thing. Because when I talk about faith and science, I don't usually... You know, traditionally think about it, you know, the experiential dynamics of warfare, but I think it's super, super real. Uh, and when you listen to these guys, you'll understand why. Um, I think something really profound and powerful God wants to do in us today. So can we be open to the Holy Spirit? So we ask you, Holy Spirit, and we just say it again, those words in that song of the welcoming song, we relinquish our need to be in control. Our need to control even our ideas and what we think is right and what we think is safe and, 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 and relinquish saying that you are so good that you will lead us into truth, Holy Spirit, and even take us through the discomfort of some of the things we believe that are not actually true and lead us into the truth because we know we don't have to be afraid of the truth because Jesus, you are the truth. If you agree with me, say amen. Amen. Okay. I want to introduce you to these uh, attractive young gentlemen here. Now, this is Dominic Halsmer, if you don't know him. If you're in fusion, you'd think, oh, that's the ultimate Frisbee guy. <laughs> Dom- Dominic is one of the most fit people I've ever met, and he can run a teenager into the ground in his, are you in your 60s yet? He just turned 60, and I dare anyone to try to outrun this guy. He is a beast. But if you didn't know, if, if you only know Dominic as that ultimate Frisbee guy, he's also got a Ph.D. in mechanical engineering. He's got a, uh, from UCLA, M.A. in biblical literature from ORU. He's written a book called Hacking the Cosmos, how reverse engineering uncovers organization ingenuity in the care of a maker. He's a former dean of science and engineering at ORU. So let's welcome Dominic. Yeah. Now, Ken Weed, you'd also think, oh, he's a nice fusion volunteer. He's been with 56 for about 200 years, but you're both Laura, you and Laura. 
Um, you think, what a sweet guy. But uh, Ken's also, he's got a PhD in physical chemistry from US, UC San Diego, um, and author of Worshiping God Through the Study of Chemistry in Your Face. And he's the current dean of science and engineering. I thought it was interesting that I guess Believer's Church has dominated science and engineering <laughs> for so long at ORU. And so really just wanted to invite these guys in an interview environment just to ask some questions about faith and science. And so we're going to start with definitions. And as I talk to these guys, um, this is the definition of, you know, we've spent a couple mornings together uh, just praying through this and, and discussing. And I felt like this was what we kind of landed on, that faith is trust developed from evidence. Trust developed from evidence. Now, now Dominic, talk, talk a little bit about what, what you, you really spoke into this idea of trust developed from evidence. Well, Hebrews, Hebrews says that... Uh, Let me see what you got here. Turn it on. That's a tech solution there. Yeah, scientific solution. There we go. Now, you all know Hebrews says faith is to be sure of the things you hope for, certain of the things you can't see. But we know from other passages of Scripture that it's also founded on this solid bedrock of evidence. But there is that step of faith beyond the evidence. And that seems like a necessary thing if you're in in, in um, desiring a love relationship with a person, there's a certain amount of faith or trust involved in that, and that's what God is calling us to in our faith. But it's not a blind faith. It's not an unreasonable faith. It's a, actually a very reasonable step of faith based on a foundation of evidence. And I think a good example we have from the Scriptures is that the classic passage uh, is Hebrews 11, talking about what faith is. So Dominic just quoted that. Faith is confidence or trust in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. In other words, what's about to happen, what, what's out in the future, faith is trust, but it's trust based on evidence. If you look uh, further in this uh, chapter, it says, By faith, Sarah, who is past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children. Why? Because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. In other words, she had a prior experience of God that led her to believe, okay, he was faithful in this circumstance, so I'm going to trust that he will be again. We see the same thing with Abraham. So Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, in other words, God had promised Abraham, I'm going to make this great nation through your son Isaac was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had already said to him, it's through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Here's the, here's the key. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. There was, he'd experienced God. He'd seen some crazy things God could do. He says, okay, God's asking me to do something crazy, but based on my evidence of my past experience, even if Isaac dies, God could raise him from the dead, so let's go. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so we're saying that, that faith is trust developed from evidence. So there's evidence, but can you talk about the fact that it, it's something that has to grow? Yeah. If, if faith is a presupposition of truth, then there has to be some, something in there that you develop that faith. 
um, develop that awareness of truth to, in order to have that presupposition. In order to have faith, you have to believe something is true. And I don't think that we're born with that. I personally believe that faith is actually developed. I, the reason I go there is because babies are not born with object permanence. They don't know that, the, the, that objects are permanent if they can't see them. Um, it, might be, it might be why they cry when their mother's not present because they don't know that the mother will ever come back. My, my wife built the faith of our children because she was always singing to them, Mommy will always come back. Mama always comes back. Right? Mama always comes back. Because that relationship builds this confidence that reality is real, that I can have faith because Mama does return. Mama will be there. And this object permanence grows with experience, right? So we have to have the experience in order to develop the faith. So I would argue that faith comes through relationships. Yeah, and really the scripture you had pulled out for that is this where Paul is saying, um, how then can they call on the one, in other words, people who don't know Jesus, haven't put their faith in Jesus, how can they call on the one they have not believed him? How, they can, how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Not all the Israelites accept, accepted the good news. Isaiah said, Lord, who's believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So it's the idea of, I believe mom is there because I see her. And then she disappears and then comes back. I'm starting to develop this faith. The message is mom's back. Is everybody noticed that? Ever, ever, if, you, if you've ever done uh, toddler, or not toddler, the little baby stuff, when mama leaves, it's not a good thing. Anybody notice this? Yeah, mama leaves, it's because mama no longer exists in the baby's mind. Okay, but we're, we're like that with the message of Jesus, that it's something that we develop. It's a trust that we develop. So faith is a trust developed from evidence. Science what I got from you guys is we talked about science as a process of discovering truth about the natural world. Guys, t talk about that. What does that mean? Yeah, it starts out very simple, even though science has a tendency to get very complicated. But it starts out so simple. We observe the natural world, and we see repeatable, predictable things. And we start to wonder, you know, uh, what would happen if I do this? So you make tests also. You observe, you make tests and you develop um, hypotheses, which are just ideas about how the world works. You test those, and uh, as you gain more and more confidence in describing how the natural world works, you're doing science, and you get more and more depth, more and more knowledge, until you're able to explain some of the complexities. But this is all through natural processes. I say natural, but... And we tend to make a distinction between the natural world and the supernatural, right? But actually, we need to think, take a step back and think about that because if God is the one who has put all of these natural laws in place in the first place, then how really natural are these natural laws? They're all supernatural, right? There is no distinction between the natural and the supernatural in my mind. It's all God's work. Yeah, I want to bring up a, an example of that supernatural because um, hopefully I'm going to get some help to bring um, some uh, a demo here on the stage. We hope it's not here yet, but hopefully we'll be here in a second. Um, anyway, the natural, this idea of 
of science as a process is important. And we need to know science is not a, a cluster of facts. Science isn't a person. Science is a process. So it's the process of, of discovering truth. So the idea that of science is not the only way to know truth, but it has become our predominant way. Especially in our modern culture, it is the way that we discover truth, that we think about truth. The process that Dr. Hosmer just described is really just a, a method, but we use that method for everything. It's the method we use to fix cars. It's the method that we use to develop cooking techniques. It's the method that we use to study history. Perhaps it's even the method that we're using to discover our faith or our religions. So it has become the dominant way of thinking, but it's not the only way of thinking. And we should keep in mind that it is limited. Science is not able to, it's not fit to handle investigating the supernatural, for example. And it can't really make statements about the supernatural. It, it uh, assists us in describing the natural world. The question is why. Why, why, has, why do we put our faith in science? Because primarily, oh great, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Um, so we, we put our faith in science primarily because it's been effective. So please don't hear that science doesn't work or it's bad or it's not good. It's phenomenal. It's changed our lives. Science is extremely effective. Because we've experienced science as being extremely effective in affecting our change in our world, we have put more and more and more faith in it. So don't think that this idea of putting faith in science is somehow just coming out of, out of ignorance. It's no, it's coming out of a history of experience of effectiveness. But I think what, what is important is, is that what Dominic said, um, you ever notice when you're like really good with one tool, you all of a sudden real, think every problem will be solved by that tool, yeah. right? You know, you're like you're really good with a hammer, and then you go to dinner and let's pull out the hammer, you know, for to make some eggs. Yeah, you know. Um, I think what's really important to hear here is that science is a method. It's not a, it's some kind of body of truth. It's a method for trying to discover things about the world we sense through our five senses. So that's what we mean by the natural world. It's, it's limited to come discovering truth about the world of the five senses. And so, so trust, faith, our defa- definitions are faith is trust developed from evidence. Science is a process of discovering truth about the natural world. So then the question is, is there a conflict really between faith and science? Alvin Plantinga is a philosopher at Notre Dame, and he wrote a really good book lately called Where the Conflict Really Lies. That's the title of the book. And he points out that it's not really a conflict between science and faith, as the media would paint, but rather the conflict is between the two worldviews or philosophies of naturalism, the idea that nature is all that exists, and theism, the idea that there's this loving mastermind behind all of nature. That's where the conflict really lies, between naturalism and theism. And we tend to confuse science sometimes with naturalism, Mm -hmm. but they're different. Absolutely. Um, Science exists because we believe in that, that what we experience is really true. 
So the, the reason that we believe that we believe that our experiences are true. So therefore, we think that science is true. So faith and science can't be separate because science is a faith-based activity. There's no conflict there. So I, the conflict isn't between faith and science. It's between what we believe about what it is that we experience. So well, there's, a, there's a phrase in there that was really important. So science makes a faith statement. And here's the faith statement. That what I experience is actually true. Now, some of you guys might think that, well, of course. Believe it or not, that's been debated very strongly for the last 300 years. And it also leads to many of the broken things going on in our culture right now. That there isn't a sense of reality that I myself create reality from my brain. Now, some of you guys are like, yeah, I'd never think that because, like, I've stubbed my toe before. Right. And so why would I think my brain decided to create pain when my toe hits the, you know, the, the rock. Um, but there are other things that we think we can just create from our brain and there isn't reality there. So science makes the faith assumption that reality is actually there. And it, if we look at it long enough, we'll come up with some predictable ways that we can say, oh, that happened again. And it happened again. Maybe it's true that when I jump off of this stage, I will hit the ground. Actually, the way we develop that is through a shared discussion. Um, because science is a process that we experience as a person doing the science, but then somebody else needs to replicate it and try it again. And then there has to be other people try it again, and to do it again, do it again. And then we all share about it, and we talk about it. And from that sharing and, of sharing of mutual experiences and sharing and discussing those experiences, we then decide together what are we going to put forward as true. Right? So science is, is a process. It's a shared discussion. It in and of itself isn't anything. Right? It's just the discussion of shared experiences. And so even the faith is that there's a faith that if I do things over and over again, it's going to lead to some kind of truth. Even though we found in some science experiments, after hundreds and hundreds of times of doing it, number 101 shows it's completely different. Okay. Right, because the guys were talking about there was a book written. When was this? It was called The End of Physics. I asked you, and you couldn't remember the date then. Yeah. Why am I asking you now? I don't know. <laughs> but there's a guy who wrote a book, maybe uh, how, how many hundred years Late ago? Late 1800s. Late 1800s said, we've already discovered everything there is to know about physics. Yeah. This was before quantum mechanics. That completely <laughs> changed the world. Right? So, no, there's always more to discover. And that's what's the beauty of, of, of our whole journey of, of, of faith. Right? Is that we actually probably won't get to the end of God. We're not going to discover it all. The Bible says that His ways are above our ways. And actually, there's Heisenberg uncertainty principle that says we won't even know science. So we don't get to get to the end. But what we do get to do is experience the journey. So, summary so far is this idea that there is no conflict between faith and science because science is an activity of faith. That's, but there's different worldviews associated with the practice of science. One could be naturalism, is that all I sense through my five senses is all that exists. And it's a closed worldview. But the other one is theism, that I, yeah, everything I sense through my five senses is real, but there is a creator. Okay, so I want to ask some questions that have come to my mind out of this that, that kind of put this into practice a little bit for us. One is this. People sometimes 
say things like, well, science says, and that's like the end of the discussion. Have you ever been in one of those things? Well, science says this. Is it actually true when you say science says, is that really the end of the discussion? Well, when we make measurements, when we do tests, when we make observations, we gain a little more confidence that what we expect is a correct description of nature, but it never really proves anything. Proves meaning it's absolutely true with 100% certainty. So science just gives us a little more confidence, but even Newton's laws of motion, which were governing for hundreds and hundreds of years, were modified when Albert Einstein discovered general relativity. When you have very fast-moving objects or very massive objects, Newton's laws of motion gets slightly modified. So there's always the possibility that there will be some change in our perspective in science because of new information. Amen. That's true. Um, Science says that that statement assumes a higher authority, right? We have a need, uh, we have a presuppositions. We have to stake our thoughts on something. We have to start from somewhere. So what do you presuppose, or what do you, what do you put your faith in, right? So science says is a faith statement, right? Because they're appealing to a higher authority. So the question really is, is what should your higher authority be? A process that, uh, of communication, or a person of Jesus Christ, right? Where should your faith be in your, where should you base your presupposition, right? So science doesn't ever say anything because science can't. It, it like, it, science falsifies things really well. The, the thing that it can do is, some, is sometimes prove something's not correct, but it can't actually ever prove something is correct, right? It's a process, it's not a person. Is anybody's mind getting blown right now? This is super, super important stuff. Super important stuff. That science is just a a, a conversation about what we think might be happening. It's not this authority in the sense of, because it's just a bunch of guys who got together and said, yeah, I think that happened. Do you think that happened? Praise God, it's not just guys. There's a lot more girls involved. Science has become more practical as women have gotten involved. It's, it's been more useful, probably. That's what happens in my life, usually. Okay. I, and I love, did you love this idea? Do, do we say an authority I go to is a process or a person? Which, which would be more reliable? It's very interesting. Okay, here's another question. What do we do with scientific claims or new discoveries that seem to undercut Christian faith? I love this question because uh, it actually is no big deal. If you experience a contradiction between science and theology, it's no big deal. You know why? Both science and theology involve mankind's interpretation of the facts about nature or the facts about God. Now, since both of these revelations come from God, we don't expect contradiction between the facts about nature and the facts about God or the words of the Bible. But when our interpretations become involved in science now or in theology, because we have to interpret the Bible as well, in theology we make interpretations, right? 
we we make flawed interpretations all the time as human beings. So, in fact, if there is a if there is a contradiction between science and theology, this is actually an opportunity because we know somewhere there's a wrong interpretation. There must be in one or both of our fields of science and theology. So we get to do the hard work of study and discovery further to find out where that misinterpretation is. Yeah, actually Oral Roberts was asked this question before the founding of the, of the university and in terms of how, is, how will they teach geology at, at Oral Roberts University. And his response was, if science can ever prove anything to be true, then that's the way God did it. That statement is huge. There are so many presuppositions and and conclusions you can draw from that statement. First of all, it's founded in God is the source. God is our source. That's that's it. We're done. He is the source. Whatever we find, it's because of the way he did it, right? We can discover all we want. We can explore all we want. We don't have to be afraid because it's his. I really think God spoke to Oral when he said, build this university, because it was so well-founded in this regard. He was so forward-thinking in his openness to science and faith together, reconciling them at the beginning, in the 1960s, at Oral Roberts University. Yeah, but I love the statement because it's also a little bit ironic, right? Because it starts off, if science can prove anything to be true, well, we just said science can't. So I think it's a little ironic as well. So there you go. How about this? It seems like that the church has historically opposed some scientific discovery like Galileo, Copernican Revolution. If you, you know what I'm talking about, there was a time where we did not believe that the sun was the center of a galaxy. We believed that the earth was kind of a narcissism at a galactic level. Um and it seemed like there was some opposition of the church to the change with Galileo. Say, so I don't think I don't think we are the center of the universe. So, like, what, what do we do with that kind of stuff? Well, we love conflict, right? It's, it's the conflicts that always get the most press. What about the hundreds of years of devoted Christians? There's this amazing tradition within the UK of the the um, pastor in the backyard with a naturalist who's studying nature and looking at the wonder of God's creation. And this is, this is the rule rather than the conflict. Conflict is the exception to the rule. I mean, people like Johann Kepler, who studied the planets and rejoiced in thinking God's thoughts after him. This is where science came from, out of the uh, birth in Christianity, this idea of a lawgiver. Uh, well, there, if there's a lawgiver, then there must be natural laws for us to discover. And so this is, I think, these conflicts may, may get a lot of press, but they're the exception rather than the rule. And I do think we have to be a little bit careful, because notice the first part of this question, it seems like the church has historically, the church is making presuppositional statements about truth as well. And we may not always get it correct. So just like we have to, you know, approach... Science, science, the study of faith, we have to approach theology, the study of God, carefully as well. So we're making interpretations in both places. We need to be humble enough to recognize we may not always get it correct. Right? What we are getting correct is we're following after Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
So in the journey, then he can correct us. It turns out he's correcting us often. So. <laughs> very, very well said. Okay, how about this? In a similar vein, seems like the Bible says things that don't agree with basic discoveries in science, like the sun rises or the water above the earth. What do we, what do, we do with stuff like that? Um, well, the Bible obviously speaks in phenomenological language in the way that we experience creation. And in, in addition to that, you know, when you think about the book of Genesis, God is communicating important truths, mostly theological truths, not so much scientific truths. I mean, if he gave them the whole nine yards on cosmology and stellar evolution and biochemistry, there's, there's, they would not have anything... Genesis would be a lot longer. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they wouldn't have any compartments to put that information. But we know that God accommodates his truth to, to us so that we can all, all understand it in this Bible that we have. Yeah, I think that context is needed for any discussion, right? Um, so... When you read the Bible, you, you, have, you can see the sun does rise. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, Copernicus, if I go outside, the, the sun rises. It's kind of obvious to everyone, right? So uh, we, our daily life is where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And so he's speaking to us exactly where we are to give us the confidence and faith that we need in order to follow him. So he's speaking to us on a very personal level, Right? So as we learn more and we discover more, we can worship him more and celebrate him more through it. But the Lord uses, and the Bible uses, or the question is, is does the Bible use analogy? In my class, I talk about nuclear spin. Um, we talk about nu- this concept of nuclear spin a lot um, in chemistry. I, I, I teach about it. I have lectures on it. I put it on my exam. Um, students have to write paper about nuclear spin. The problem is, nuclei don't spin. So... Am I lying to these people? Right? And the answer is no. It's because when we talk about spin, it's the easiest way for us to talk about resonance and, and to come up with, the, with the, the observations that we're making. We need this idea of resonance to come through. And the easiest way is to talk about spin. But it's not spinning. Okay? And you may have heard skeptics say that the idea of somebody rising from the dead is foolish. It's, it's irrational. It's unscientific. But actually, if Jesus, was, well, if Jesus was just a simple human being, maybe that is foolish. But all of creation speaks to us of a maker, someone beyond nature. And so that's a reasonable explanation. A reasonable hypothesis is to propose a creator exists. Now, if this creator does exist, and this creator became incarnate in the Son of God, now, this is not such an unreasonable hypothesis to suppose that this person would rise from the dead as a sign of conquering sin and death for us. So, just because the Bible proposes this kind of singularity, a -a one-of-a-kind kind of event, doesn't make it unscientific. There are other events that are singularities that science recognizes, like the creation of the universe at a moment in time, what they call the Big Bang, when all matter and energy spread out at just the right rate 
to produce the complexity that we see today. Or the beginning of life, the very first life form, is a, is a kind of a singularity, a single event that science believes in. So the resurrection as a singularity is a perfectly rational, reasonable kind of conclusion. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? In other words, science being a process that observes things but also recognizes there's one-offs, by science's own methodology, it would be very reasonable to say, yeah, resurrection could occur if God himself were in a human body. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I, I, amen. <laughs> God in the human body, that got me excited. I, you know, yay, science, right? <laughs> but it's not, so. <laughs> I said, but then we're going to have hankies and running around the sanctuary in a Jericho march for faith and science. Okay, so here's another question. Like many TV shows, podcasts, videos, etc., we hear things like, well, evolution decided, or apparently this came about for our survival. Anybody heard that, like in explanations on shows you're watching? As if everybody knows that evolutionary theory is the explanation for what exists, please speak to that. If we're going to talk about evolution, we need to define our terms because there's about four or five different definitions for that word. From simply change over time, stellar evolution refers to how stars progress over time, the pressures and temperatures that result, and in, in the chemical elements of our periodic table that result from that. But biological evolution gets a lot more complex. You've got things like uh, mutations that can occur within a species that make small changes to that species. You've got mutation and natural selection that can occur perhaps to the extent that a new species might emerge. And then you've got an atheistic worldview. When people, a lot of people, when they say evolution, they're talking about basically there is no God. This is all done in nature and there's nothing beyond nature. So you have to understand what people are talking about. And I think of those four definitions, only the last one necessarily omits God from the picture. I mean, just remember, just because we have a naturalistic or, or a scientific description for something doesn't mean that we're ruling out God. And we're still learning so much about biology and genetics today that I think it's, I'm comfortable with some uncertainty on this issue until we find out more and just see exactly how God did create everything. Because we do have some significant evidence that these incredible living organisms that we know about have changed over time and have adapted to their environment to a large degree. Now, how much evolution uh, is responsible for or how much God's hand is involved in that, we just don't know yet. Yeah, I have big problems with this concept of evolution decided, right? This whole idea of intentionality. This whole concept of intentionality to a chemist is a little bit extreme because really... As chemists, we talk about atomic motion, and atomic motion is random. We call it Brownian motion. It's this random collision of molecules, um, and, and, and we try to um, make reactions happen by trying to influence the environment to get a number of those random collisions to happen in the way that we want them to happen, and we have to be extremely intentional at make, about making these chemical reactions occur. They don't just occur by themselves. They're, they're, they're just not very, you know adapt, they don't obey us very well. I mean, we have to really force them to, to make to work. This idea of just random motion creates things like life. 
So this idea of, of what was just mentioned, atheistic evolution, if you put a rock next to a pile of dirt and you tell that rock, okay, rock, you'll get stronger if you can get more of this dirt in and you'll, you'll develop, you'll become bigger and you'll become more long-lasting if you'll just go over and eat this. It doesn't matter. The, the rock just sits there, right? <laughs> but if you put a plate of meat next to a dog, ah, no problem. That dog is going to come eat it. Why? That dog knows that it needs that food in order to have life and to have strength and to grow, and, and so it's going to go eat that food right away. Where does that intentionality come from? What is that? That's not brownie in motion. Life, life is the problem. If, if our world or our universe was just random explosions by solar processes, I don't think I could get to atheistic evolution even then, but... If you bring life into it, I definitely can't get there because it's intentional. So I'm going to do a quick summary. So, so what I hear you saying, Dominic, is that that things change over time has absolutely nothing to do with the fact whether God started it or is even working through it. That, 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 that the atheistic evolution is actually the insertion of a worldview talking about things that science doesn't even have an ability to explain anyway. Like, where has intention started? And you're saying, how could you ever say something has intention? It's like saying this, that rock or this chair decided. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't make any sense. There has to be the idea of life and intention and personality. In other, in, a, in other words, to make any decisions about anything. So in, in, in other words, the, the point of this is it's, it's a self-defeating statement. All right. Hallelujah. <laughs> it don't make no sense. Does that make sense to say evolution decided? Um, and by the way, I just gave a talk a couple weeks ago in an engineering seminar at ORU on the compatibility of evolution and design, that they are quite compatible. This idea that things change over time in such a way that benefit us and it looks like it's a design system. I mean, this was incredible to an, en- to an engineer to see how a system could be created that can adapt automatically, in a sense, to its environment. This is a beautifully engineered system. And then two days before I gave that talk, a, a, an article came out. This, this scientific study showed conclusively that mutations within living creatures are not random. They are occur in such a way as to benefit the organism. <laughs> and this is exactly what we would expect from a loving creator. That's beautiful. Yeah, the conversation is, how did Jesus do it, right? If, you, if we start there, then we can talk about all of these things. That's all okay to talk about, because we start with Jesus, and then we move from there. So in other words, we think we're so smart that we can build AI, right? Artificial intelligence that's a program that can start to learn where God's like, yeah, I, I, I did that a long time ago. It's you might get close to something I thought about, you know, okay. Wait, what was that last thing? Oh, this is a cool one. It appears there are instances in the scripture that science of the past, in other words, older science would say that could never happen. 
But now with newer science, like quantum physics and, and those kind of things, science is actually now affirming some things we saw in the Bible. What are some of those instances yeah, that we know I, about? I like this one because it makes me think of Jesus coming through the um, locked door and walls of the upper room after the resurrection to confront the apostles. And, um, you know, that seems like a contradiction. How could, you know, well, we call it a miracle. And, but actually, because of quantum mechanics experiments now, we have some indications from science that there are more dimensions than the four space-time dimensions that we experience. There are more dimensions that we don't experience. And if you ever watched an early Star Trek episode where where the, the beings from another planet uh, collapse down into a line and then collapse down into a point, you know if you're a techie, a science fiction person, that um, what they were doing was simply rotating their bodies into a fourth and fifth dimension of space that they had at their disposal. Science fiction's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so Jesus, if he has extra space dimensions at his, at his disposal, he could easily just rotate into those extra dimensions of space and become a point, pass right through the wall, and then rotate back to be present. So, so what, you're saying is, what you're saying is William Shatner is a prophet. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry. Okay, okay, Gene Roddenberry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the one I think of is... For many, many, many centuries, this idea of the constancy of the universe was was very part of science, right? That that the, the universe has always been. It's always been this way. The, it's uniform. It's always been this way. Um, this idea in Genesis 1 that there wasn't anything, and then all of a sudden there was everything, no, nah, that's not science, right? Until the 20th century. Okay, well, now that is science. That's, that's definitely science. Science, absolutely. There was a, there was a moment in, in history when science began. Oh, but then that means the Bible's correct. So let's, let's, let's develop some other theories where we can have, 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 a, have a cyclical universe that, that, it, that it crunches and expands and crunches and expands. And that, this idea that there was a moment in time when all creation began is not scientific. That's Jesus. And we can't get away from that idea that there is a beginning from nothing. So it kind of shows us that the assumptions of faith that we make actually decide what we're seeing in a scientific process. So in other words, now we see, oh, that there was a beginning to the universe. And, but most of the physicists I know about are trying their hardest to say, I don't think there is a beginning, even though everything points to a beginning. Okay. Okay. All right, then. So here's some conclusions to come from. Here's our definitions that faith is trust developed from evidence. I love that definition. It really helps me. Jesus isn't asking us to trust him based on nothing. It's based on the things that he's, he's actually done things in our lives that would make it rational to believe he would take care of me again. And that's why we sing songs about it, to talk ourselves into that. Science is simply a process for discovering truth about the natural world. And because of these definitions, there's no actual conflict, really, between faith and science. So if there's this idea that you've run into 
that to be a believer in Jesus, you have to then just either be afraid of or reject the whole science thing is absolutely not true. You follow me? It's a big, big deal. In, in other words, that science arose out of the Christian belief that there's something worth discovering about the world that exists. And if you look at the history of science, it started in like monasteries with monks. Okay. So our takeaway is that science actually helps us to know Jesus. We're saying that reason is one of the ways that we, we can know Jesus. So science being kind of a subcategory of that Helps us know Jesus. Talk with us, guys, just in conclusion about how science knows, helps us to know Jesus. And Ken, you've got an illustration. Go ahead. As spirit-empowered Christians, we appreciate signs and wonders. Jesus' ministry was filled with signs and wonders. And I remember Rodney Howard Brown came to ORU one time, an evangelist who was all talking all about signs and wonders. And... Um, he even defined it. He said, what are signs and wonders? Well, they're signs that make you wonder. <laughs> and uh, I like Craig Westhoff's uh, definition of wonder. I always share that with my students. Wonder is the great anticipation that something is about to become readily apparent. <laughs> but you have to say it like this. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it like Craig. But let me suggest, and, and, and signs and wonders are great, um, but let me suggest, if you haven't thought about this like this yet, there's this whole other facet of God in the book of nature that's coming at us from the book of nature. And we study that nature and we, we uncover things about God that, that make us wonder. This is another kind of signs and wonders. You could call it science and wonders. Yeah. <laughs> because these things that we discover in nature make us wonder how in the world, how ingenious that is. How did that, how did that ingenuity get in there? So I would encourage you to pursue this on a devotional level. If you haven't done much reading in science or if you were exposed to science as a, as a younger person and, and it was kind of a, almost like a punishment, you had to study science. It was part of the curriculum. You just had to do it. But no, this is like Johann Kepler said. It's like thinking God's thoughts after him. And, and uh, these are a kind of wonder that teach us not only the geniusness of God but more about him allowing us to know him better, love him deeper, and worship him more fully. Yeah, one of our scientists at ORU has a whole lecture series called the God of Wonder series. So, yeah, it all begins in awe and wonder. I always talk about looking for praise God moments, right? So we're looking and we're experiencing, we're looking for praise God moments that we can celebrate him. One of them we just talked about, and I got so excited during that praise and worship time because we talked about um, the breath of God, right? That, that we are breathing the breath, that it's his breath, right? We, we sang about that. What's exciting to me about that, air is a praise God moment. Okay, so everything's a praise God moment. But air is a praise God moment, right? 
Air is mostly what we breathe air because we need oxygen, right? And oxygen is the essential thing that we need, but praise God, most of this air is not oxygen. 70% of this, of this space, right, of this air that we're breathing is nitrogen. Nitrogen's inert. It doesn't do anything for us. It doesn't react with anything. It's not useful for life. It's just there, right? So most of it's just a waste, right? Because we don't need it. It just doesn't do anything for us. We only need stuff that we need, right? So we only want that 20%. Well, praise God that the air is not all oxygen. Oxygen is related to energy. Oxygen is very flammable. Oxygen is very explosive. If our entire atmosphere, all of this air was all oxygen, we would explode. And life, we would just all die with this one little spark, right? So the nitrogen filling 70% of the air is actually your protection, so when you're breathing in life, you're breathing in protection as well. So the air around you is a praise God moment. So when you go to lunch today, after, after today, and you, you have your, your drink of water here uh, with your ice floating in your water here, this, this is an absolute praise God moment, right? Okay, because it turns out water is completely abnormal. Water does not behave like all the other elements. If you take science class, solids are, are solid. Liquid water is liquid, right? All solids in the, that we know of, all compounds that we know of, solids sink in their own liquid. Water is the only substance in our world that doesn't. Notice the ice. What's the ice doing? Uh-uh. That's a miracle. <laughs> this is a praise God moment. Okay, but Why? I mean, all right, so it's the only one that does that, but, but who cares? Well, it turns out if lakes over the winter, the water in the lakes behaved normally and they froze from the bottom up, what would happen to the life? All the life would die. God knew winter was coming, so he made ice float because now that floating layer of protection is protecting that life through the winter. God knows winter is coming. He has already provided you with a way of escape. This is a praise God moment, not for the fish in the lake, but for me, because he's provided my way of escape since the beginning of creation. Now be a good time for you to drop that mic. So what do we respond to with something like this? The first thing I want to say is be not afraid. Be not afraid. You know, the other side of, of fear often is anger. We get angry when we feel threatened. We get angry when we feel like our worldview is threatened. If, if, if this is all true, what we've been saying, we are never in a threatening position ever. Because we know the Creator, and all that that what a, the the process of science does is, in the long run, only affirms what He's done. So we don't have to be afraid, and we don't have to be angry. We can be compassionate when people say things that we know doesn't. That, that, oh, oh, you just don't know. I'd love you to know because an atheistic evolutionary worldview is a very lonely place to be. It's a very lonely place not to matter. Not to matter that you exist. Um, another thing is, let's examine our faith foundations. If some of these things messed with you, 
That's a good thing. Did you know we don't gather as God's people just to feel better? That would be devastating. It'd be like saying, I'm going to the gym only to feel better. In fact, many of us do that, and that's why we should cancel our gym memberships. <laughs> right? We go to grow, to be stretched, to recognize, I don't know everything. That's the, what a great posture. If we could just stay with, I don't know everything, I think we'd be all right. Um, and then also there are resources that we we're going to put, we're putting them online. Um, Dominic has a whole slate of books and he's brought some with him that help us actually worship Jesus through exploring things about science. Um, and so if you're interested in doing that, um, Dominic, you want to be available yeah. here? Yeah, I've got four books to give away and um, 12 copies of a science-based devotional if people are interested. I know there's more than that, more people than that here, but maybe we can share them. We're going to be playing Just As I Am as you come forward. <laughs> and it'll also hand you a periodic table for you to take home with you. Um, has this helped you guys? This has been helpful? Good. Let, 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 <laughs> let's stand together. Let's stand together. Um, some of these things are just honestly just really basic. We had to really close this thing down as tight as we could. I know it went a little bit long, but but felt like this is something important uh, for you to also refer to. Um, I know these guys are also very open to discussion. Ken happens to be one of our elders as well. Um, isn't it great for someone who cries at ice because he meets Jesus in it? It's wonderful. Uh, Dominic's been, Dominic, here's what's so cool, but he's been teaching our kids for 15 years. Isn't that amazing? The, the, the humility of the guy, most people know him from having crawled on the floor trying to get kids to listen. And here's a guy's written books about reverse engineering and the cosmos. So, so let's, let's finish with a prayer and then come get any resources um, if you need them. Also, if you want to know what it's like to follow the one who started all this, come and talk to me. Come and talk to us. Because, oh, it's so much better to know that you have meaning and significance. You are here on purpose and he loves you. Okay. Ken, will you pray for us? Sweet Jesus, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for creating all of this stuff, Lord Jesus, just so that you can tell us that you love us. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your son, providing us a way of escape. Because, Lord Jesus, we don't know how to behave. We don't know what to do with all of this stuff. We don't even know how to treat each other. But, Father, through your love and through your demonstration, we can have faith in you and know how to live and to move and to have our being. Jesus, teach us. Let, let us see, through the power of your Holy Spirit, how to walk after you, how to think your thoughts after you. Lord Jesus, please, teach us how to be Christian. Followers of Christ, we love you. We thank you for your empowerment. We thank you for your blessing. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you'll bless our families, that our families, as we collect, gather together, Lord Jesus, can celebrate you in our midst. Father, we thank you for this family of our church. We pray your continued blessing on it. 
Bless those, Lord Jesus, who work with our children, Lord God. Bless those who um, work to create the space that we get to celebrate you in. We love you and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank these guys again for their time. Have a great week. Love you guys.